Psalm 15. I mentioned this two Sundays ago that I came back from Israel and I had this message that I had sitting on Miss Catherine's uh, patio or whatever, overlooking the busy city, honking streets with all the traffic early in the morning. The Lord had given me this message and I had just handwritten it out and I brought it back thinking I would preach it that Sunday afterwards and I, I didn't get to and it's been three weeks now that I've been carrying this one and I'm excited to bring it this morning. I want to preach this morning on being a friend of God. Being a friend of God. I've told you how the AP and I each uh, teach a kindergarten chapel at Vandalia Christian School. Once a month we go up there and do that and a couple of years ago I was sitting in the parking lot. I had taken the children and dropped them off and just waiting then for the time for chapel. And I had about 20 minutes before I was going in and I did not know what I was going to say that morning. I'll be honest with you, I used to be real intimidated with those kindergartners when I started doing that, and now I just go in there and it's just a good time. But I was just asking the Lord for something to share with the children, and I was sitting there reading, and I read Psalm 15, and a thought came to me. Let me me read the first verse, and I'll tell you what it is. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And I was reading that verse sitting there in the parking lot, and this is the thought that come to me. Who gets to hang out with God? Who gets to hang out with God? And I thought, boy, that would be a good, good thing to talk to the children about. And, and, but I had my backpack with me. I don't know if that was one of those days we were getting ready to go on a code trip later that day, or, but I just had the backpack with me, and I thought, you know what? It says, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? That's a tent. Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? That's the mountains. And I, I re retitled it and I spoke to the children about who gets to go camping with God who gets invited to go camping with God and I had took my backpack in and we looked at different things out of the backpack and made illustrations and it was a lot of fun but you look at that that passage and you see that God is presenting to us a question of who gets to be with him who gets to dwell close to God who gets in other words to be a friend of God Let's read the the whole thing. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And he he goes on to describe in this psalm the kind of people who get to hang out with God at the mountain retreat. And he says that they are those who live righteously from sincere hearts. That's the kind of people God invites to hang out with him. They are those who keep their tongues from slander and speak only truth about others. They are those who separate from evil workers and live faithful even when it costs them and they are those who are generous and faithful who cannot be persuaded to speak against the innocent that's what's laid out in psalm 15 these are the people that get to hang out with god or these are the people who are friends of god and i think a good summary words of who the friends of god are would be righteous the righteous the truthful the separated and the faithful these are the things that god wants to see in our life The the fruit God wants to produce in our life. Now, I want to say that word faithful is foundational. And a faithful friend of God is a faithful friend to anyone. And and faithfulness is foundational. You cannot be a friend of God without being faithful. Now, 
This does not mean perfect. God doesn't put the, the, the requirement that He will only let you be with Him and close to Him if you're a perfect person. God knows better than that. But God is inviting those who will be faithful. Psalm 24, verse 3 through 6 says, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? It's kind of the same question. Who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. So friends of God are not those who get everything right, but those who deeply long to know God and to know his righteousness and to live in that righteousness. These are the friends of God. To be faithful, to be a faithful friend to God means to be full of faith faithful and it means to believe God to trust him completely to love him and follow him with all the heart soul mind and body before I can be true to Athena I must be true to God before I can be true to my children I must be true to God before I can be true to this church I must be true to God before I can be true in any way in life I must be true to God. Now, let me give you one more opening text and listen to the language of this passage. Psalm 25, verse 12 through 14. And you'll, you'll hear it. it, it's kind of very similar language. Verse 12, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. And listen to this verse. Look at it if you're looking. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. The, the fear of man brings a snare. The Bible says that it binds us when we operate out of a what-will-they-think-about-me mentality. But when we're solely given over to what does God say? What does God want? Where is God leading in my life? Then we are able to live in freedom. A freedom which allows us to hear the voice of God over the voices of so many others in the world today. Nothing can set my, my soul or your soul at ease like hearing the voice of the Lord. And you look at that last part. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him and He will show them His covenant. This is the language of friendship, isn't it? It's the language of friendship. Who do you tell your secrets to? Who do you trust with the most precious and tender parts of your life and your story? Certainly not those who love to tell others. Certainly not to those who will walk all over your story and trample it like it's trash in the street. You wouldn't tell your secrets to people like that. Well, God feels the same way. And He tells His secrets to His friends. And that makes me want to be a friend of God. That ought to make all of us want to be a friend of God. Not because we're wanting to know God's juicy... Well, let me, let me start over. Exactly because we're wanting to know God's juicy secrets. Because anything God knows and He tells, it'll be good to know and it'll be good to be told. But God tells His secrets to His friends. This passage reminds me of the night of the Last Supper in the upper room and Jesus has revealed to the disciples that one of them will betray him and they are confused and they're a little bit afraid about all that and 
John 13, I'll pick up the reading. John 13, verse 22 through 26 says, Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Would you think that maybe John was a friend of Jesus? And it says, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Do you think Peter knew that John was a friend of Jesus? Now, Peter was a friend of Jesus too, but I think Peter understood that John, by this point, was a little closer to Jesus than he was, even if it was just physically speaking. But let the application come in. The one who was leaning on Jesus and dwelling and abiding in Jesus, the rest turn to and say, see if you can get an answer for us. Don't you want to be the kind of person that other people can come to and say, I, I'm struggling with something in my life, but I know that you walk with God and you hear from God. Would you pray with me about this? Well, I want to be that kind of person. He was lying on Jesus' breast and saith unto him, Lord, who is it? I know you've heard this a thousand times, but I love that John, everybody else is saying, is it me, is it me, is it me? And John, leaning against Jesus, says, Lord, which one is it? <laughs> it sure ain't me, you know. And I don't want to pick on John because I think Peter had the same mentality when he said, Lord, I'll never deny you. Why? They were friends of the Lord. I'm glad you can be a friend of Jesus even though Jesus knows you're going to fail. Amen? That's a good thing to know. So Jesus, he said, I, I, it'll be the one I give a sop to when I have dipped it. And he dipped the sop and gave it to Judas. And Jesus tells his secrets to his friends just like you do. And, and I tell you, I want to be a friend of Jesus. And as I thought on this, I was drawn to three passages in the Bible. Now, I don't do this a lot. This is a... What do you call that kind of preaching? Topical preaching, thank you. I'm usually more of, a, you know, right out of the text, what do you call that? Expository preaching. You'll have to forgive me. My brain is about fried today. And I have literally tried to uh, type everything I wrote in my, my journal so that I would stay true to what I was saying and get the Sunday school out in time. So anyway, let me get back to it. I was, I was thinking about three passages that I was drawn to as I was thinking about being a friend of Jesus and, and who who the Bible speaks to us about that were called the friends of God and how they lived in that friendship and what that friendship produced in their lives. Of course, there are many friends of God in Scripture, but we will look at three that God himself calls his friends. First of all, I want to call your attention to a man named Moses. Moses in what I will call the tent of meeting. In Exodus chapter 33, I will begin in verse number 9 and read down to verse 11. It came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. See, Moses is meeting God in the tent at the holy hill. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And listen to this part. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. The Lord spoke and spake to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. What you have here is Moses, the friend of God, at the tent of meeting, meeting with the Lord. And Moses was true to God. And Moses was a faithful friend. And, and this was how he could lead Israel as he did. He shows us the importance of this tent of meeting. By that I mean a place of saturation in God's presence and God's word. That's what Moses had. 
That's how Moses had a friendship with God. That's how Moses built his friendship with God. It was from being in that place where he could be saturated in the presence and in the Word of God. Moses met with God in the tent. Again, Psalm 15, 1. And they met as friends talking face to face. Now, we have to wonder what that was like, don't we? Because we don't really know. I mean, I think that we have a sense of it, but I don't want to be presumptuous and just think that that I know exactly what it was for Moses to talk face to face with God. I know God says in another place that no man can look on me and all that, so I know it wasn't like God just descended uh, from the heavenlies. And, you know, but I don't know what it, I just know Moses talked with God face to face. And I wonder what that was like. But I know this, I know that the heart is the place where we see God most clearly. And so we must ask ourselves this question, can my heart speak with God's heart? And can my heart hear from God's heart like true friends would communicate? You know, Psalm 42 and verse 7 says, Deep calleth unto deep. And that verse always makes me think of the heart of God that is always reaching out to the heart of His children, calling us to come into that place of deep fellowship with Him where He can communicate with us and we can learn to hear His voice. And what happens is Moses' face begins to shine as a result of his meeting and his encounter with God. Now in Exodus 34, I won't read all of it, but in verse 29 through 35, it tells that when Moses came back to the people, they couldn't look on him and they were a little bit afraid because his face was shining. And so Moses puts a veil over his face. And it says in Exodus 34, verse 29 and 30, it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in his hand, he came, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with, with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses had to put a veil on his face. And it goes on to say that when he would stand before the children of Israel and speak to them, he wore that veil. But then when he would go back in to speak to God, he would take the veil off. Uh, Can I tell you something that happened about 2,000 and some years ago? There was only one way to get to talk to God. You had to go through the veil. You had to, there there was a man, one man, one man once a year could go behind the veil. And everybody else had to stand on the outside looking through the veil. But I'm going to tell you, when Jesus died on Calvary, friends, the veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, and the way to God was open to every man, every woman, everybody who will come to Him by faith. Yes, the way was made at Calvary. And you can talk to God face to face from your heart to God's heart. Jesus made that possible. The people were frightened by it. Moses had to wear a veil over his face. Why? Well, I tell you, people who can talk with God are often forced to wear veils of a sort even today. You know, because the majority of people don't understand, and human nature is to fear what we don't understand. But the larger point here is this, that your countenance will reflect who you have been with, won't it? When you have been with God, there's a light to the countenance. Some people bring smiles to our faces, you know. (laughs) You like to be around them, you know. And some people bring your countenance down, but a true friend is someone who you just love being with. A friend is someone you can be with, not not necessarily speaking, but simply offering themselves to share in your joy or in your grief, to be present in your triumphs or your pain, to just stand with you or to sit beside you. And when you think about God and our heart-to-heart with God, that is what He does. 
There are times God comes and abides with us and no words are spoken. And there are times when we need to hear a word. And God's never like Job's friends. God's never like I can be sometimes. Sometimes I'll be talking to people and I'll try to tell them what I think or what they ought to do and my children are sitting up here and my wife is sitting up here and Brother Corey's sitting right there. So there's, there's five people right there that can testify. And I, I'll say more than should be said or, or, or not be clear in what I'm saying or make it worse by what I said. And I, I don't know if any of the rest of y'all do that. But you know what? When God speaks to you, it'll be right. You can depend on it. And it'll be correct and it'll be something you can live off of and being with God changed Moses he began to reflect the glory of God and the countenance countenance of God changed the countenance of Moses and we need this in our lives too friends of God need regular meetings with the Lord to behold his countenance and thereby to be changed into his image and to become better friends Psalm 31, 16 says, Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. I tell you, I met my best when I've met with God. And you are too. And of course, there's no place this is done more effectively than when we look into the Word of God. I mean, when you direct yourself and you direct your heart into the Word of God, looking and, and, and wanting to behold Him there. That's what Moses was doing when he went into that tabernacle. Moses was purposefully going into the presence of God looking to meet with the Lord. And that's a good thing to do. It was a prayer meeting for sure. It was a place and a time where he could speak to God, but more importantly, it was a place and a time where he could hear God speaking to him. And that's what we need. Of course, Paul, speaking of how this is revealed under the new covenant in Christ, writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12-18, through 18, seeing that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is on their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And listen to how he concludes it. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we look into the image of God, we are made and changed into that image that we are looking at. You are becoming like whatever you are looking at, or listening to and so Moses the friend of God shows us the importance of the tent of meeting a place of being saturated in God's presence and God's Word I want to give you two more and I just want to build off of the first one they won't take as long but I want you to see how they work together secondly I want to give you Abraham Moses shows us that tent of meeting but Abraham shows us the journey of obedience there are two texts that I want to read and it'll take a while to turn to both of them, but I'll give them to you. Isaiah 41, 8, and you can write it down or turn there. Or, and, and James 2, 23. I want to read those two verses, and they'll be familiar to you. Isaiah 41, 8 says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. James 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So Abraham, 
Abraham was also a true friend of God, a faithful friend. And this was how he could leave. This was how he could give up everything to follow God as a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth. You remember Abraham was living in Ur? He was a pretty well-off man, doing well for himself, family business, everything's going good. And God says, Abraham or Abram, I am calling you to leave your home and your country and follow me to a country that you'll find out about when you get there. And Abraham was able to do that because he was a true friend of God. Abraham, his friendship shows us this. Moses shows us the importance of the saturation in God's presence and word, but Abraham shows us the importance of separation to the call of God. It was a journey of obedience. Now, I think it's important to stop along the way of preaching and ask questions. We evaluate our life and we have to ask ourselves, number one, am I on a journey? Do I recognize that I'm on a journey with God? Or is this just a kind of a self-made journey? path that I'm on. Are we sort of doing the things that just sort of make sense, right? You know, you go to school, you graduate, go to college, you get a job, you know, you you have a family, you know, you retire, and you play golf. Some play golf before they retire. But anyway, we can just follow the typical path. Now, there's nothing wrong with that path. God will guide many people down a path that looks a lot like that. But the, the key is, do I know I'm on that journey with God, you see? And then I can say, then I am on a journey of obedience. That I am where I am because God wants me there and I'm doing the work that I'm doing because God wants me to do it. And I'm pursuing the things in life that I'm pursuing because God is leading me and blessing me in that. And so that's a journey of obedience. And Abraham lived that way. And you and I can live that way. We don't even have to pack up and go to another country. We can do it right here. We can be a friend of God. We can live with that kind of relationship. Abraham believed God's word. It was his real faith and his proven obedience that made him a friend of God. It's a faith that works. When you look at James chapter 2 and that passage where he's called a friend of God, it says that he believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. He was doing, he was acting on that faith. Faith was leading him. That's what Psalm 15 verse 2 through 5 was all about. It's describing faith that works. The people that dwell with God are the people that live in this kind of a life. A whole lot of people uh, in a country that claims to be 70% Christian, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about having faith, but it is very few indeed who ever live a life of true faith in terms of letting everything go and following God. Would you agree with that? Now, I hope that we're all part of that few, but you know, our country says we're 70% Christian, and, and you would think, I just don't see that many people that are just walking a journey of obedience with God. Abraham followed God by his faithful heart. That's where he did it, trusting the Lord. And even when it didn't make sense or when it seemed like it was an impossible way, he stayed with God. Of course he had been called from his home to follow God to a promised land. But then, then had come this word from the Lord, which we find in Genesis chapter 15. Now I'm going to read it. If you want to turn, you can. But Genesis 15, 1 through 7 After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. 
And he brought him forth abroad. God brought Moses out, or Abraham outside, out of the tent, said, come out of the tent a little bit. We're having a good time camping, but I need to show you something. Come on out of the tent. And he said, it took him out abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars. If thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. You know, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, you've got to understand, I'm doing something with you I've never done with anybody else. Now, you can look around you, and you won't find a, a formula for this. You won't find a pattern for this. You're going to find a lot of people aren't going to believe this. But you come with me, Abraham, and I want you to look up. Now, I'm going to make you a promise. You look up there and, and begin to count, and if you can number those stars, you'll know how many offspring and seeds you're going to have in, in the generations that are coming. And Abraham, I don't know if he started counting or not. I, I imagine he just looked up and said, I give up. I give up. And I'm going to tell you something. A great day in our life will be when we come to the place that God says, this is what I want out of you. And we say, Lord, it doesn't make sense. I can't figure all of it out, but I give up. I believe you. And Abraham was made righteous, and God said, that's my friend right there. That's my friend. I'm going to call him my friend because he believes what I said to him and he's going to go and journey on that. God said on in verse 7, he said unto him, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he's like he's saying to Abraham, don't forget, I, I started this. I started this. You just stay with me and I'll finish this. The obedience and friendship began with leaving Ur and it would take a lifetime journey for Abraham. A lifetime journey to a land and a future that he began towards, but you know, he never saw it. You remember that? Abraham never got there. He never saw it. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And verse 8 through 10 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. Somebody said, if you can explain it to me, then I'm in. You, how are you going to explain God? Really? By faith, it says that he, he, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. And if you read on past that in, Hebrew, in Hebrews 11, you'll find that, that, that Abraham's faith affected others, drawing them into an obedient faith. Sarah said, I'm going to believe God too then. At first she laughed when God said she'd have a, a child at her old age. She laughed and thought that was funny. And then she saw Abraham's faith and she said, you know, I'm going to believe God too. And Sarah, by faith, had a child at the age of 90. And children and descendants of Abraham all the way down the line have been drawn into a close walk with God because of Abraham's walk with God. And when your walk with God is drawing others into a closer walk with God, that is a wonderful way to be living. That's a great mark on your life. Like Moses, Abraham's obedience and friendship with God came from his own meetings with God. He too had to hear from God. And Abraham found the promises of God written in the heavens. Remember those stars? I love the, the Bible. I love the Psalms. You know the Psalms were Jesus' prayer book? That was a thought that hit me this week. I was reading in the Psalms, and I tell you, that were just blessing my heart. And I thought, this is why Jesus was who he was. Because this was his prayer book. 
Jesus would open up and read those psalms and memorize those psalms and pray those psalms. And Man, they just made his relationship with the Father real and come alive. Listen to what David says. He does it many, many times he gives us tokens of God's friendship that we can find in the natural world. But Psalm 1, verse 2 and 3, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf uh, shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What about Psalm 23, verse 1 through 3? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the steel waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We find God in the natural world. I love that. Moses was meeting God in the, in the prayer meeting tent, getting the, the Word of God written on stone. And, and Abraham was finding God out there in the wild, seeing it written in the heavens and finding it in the rivers and the rocks. And the faithfulness of God was undoubtable in their lives. This is being a friend of God. I tell you, I need a daily meeting with Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus himself said that we are his friends when we live in obedience to his word. He said in John 15, verse 14 and 15, Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So I need a daily meeting with Jesus so that I can hear His Word to me. So that I can walk on in my pilgrimage of obedience. Abraham, the friend of God, shows us the importance of the separation to the call of God. It is a journey of obedience. And so far, so far we have learned that being a friend with God will include a place and a time to meet with God and be saturated in His presence and Word. So let's, let's just ask that question of ourselves. Do we have that? Do you have that? I'm talking about a daily, a daily place and time that you meet with God. Now, if you're going to get saturated, it's going to take a moment or two, right? If you can get saturated in, in, in a quick five minute out the door with your coffee, throwing your bagel down, that, that's hard to get saturated, all right? Now, sometimes, some mornings are like that, right? Some mornings are like that. But as a general guide of life, we need a place that we can dwell with God. Meet with Him and just stay until we're saturated in His presence and in His Word. And then we've learned from Abraham that being a friend of God will include a life lived in obedience to the call of God. Separated in faith, separated from the world. You're going to have to live your life the way God calls you to live your life. You're going to need to know what He's asking of you. You know, I, go, I could go back in, in, in my life and I remember... Uh, January the 3rd, 1997, when I got things settled and I got on the right path. And I said, God, I'm tired of living the way I've been living. And whatever you would have me do, God, if you'd use me, if you'll just use me, I'd give you everything and I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me. Wherever he leads, I'll go became a theme song of my life. And I'm going to tell you something. It's all by grace. If it were up to me, this isn't just, you know this is true about you and me. If it were up to me, I'd have been messed up out of the will of God, lost and in hell a long time ago. I told somebody yesterday, you better believe it's all of grace. You can't earn your way into it. You can't work your way to salvation. Praise the Lord, it is by grace. And if it weren't by grace, I wouldn't have it today. I thank God for that. Let me give you a last thing. Moses was a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. But I don't know if this one ever comes to mind. 
I was so blessed to find this the other morning. You know, Lazarus was a friend of God. John chapter 11, in verse number 11, you know, Jesus has got word that Lazarus is sick, and the disciples are thinking, you know, we should go or check on him, and Jesus just lingers until he says, we're going to now go, and they said, well, you know, should we go to Jerusalem? That's kind of dangerous right now. Jesus said, well, Lazarus uh, is sleeping. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, Lord, leave him alone. Let's don't bother him. You know, they're, they're really concerned about this going in the town thing. And Jesus says, plainly, Lazarus is dead. In verse number 11, it says, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. That's a wonderful statement that Jesus makes about this man called Lazarus. I want to speak about Lazarus this way, and I'll explain it in a moment, but Lazarus is a friend of God, and, and the way we see that is in his welcoming heart. His welcoming heart. Now, I'll explain that in a moment, but let me make a point. Jesus speaking to the disciples calls Lazarus our friend. So one thing to note, I think, is that whatever made Lazarus Jesus' friend made him a true friend of Jesus' other friends. You see that? And again, a faithful friend of God will be a faithful friend. Who do you want to be a friend with? You want to be a friend with a friend of God. I mean, you want to pile up your life with friends of God because they'll help you to be a friend of God. Moses led the people of God by his friendship with God. Abraham led his family by his friendship with God. But I had to ask the question, well, what about Lazarus? What made him such a friend? What was it about Lazarus that made him a friend? Admittedly, there's not much given to us about Lazarus. We don't hear a lot, read a lot about Lazarus. He's not a great leader of the people. He's not one that goes on a great journey and to a distant land with and for God. He's, you ask the question, well, what then makes him Jesus' good friend? Most of what we know about Lazarus and what we can discern comes through his connections to his sisters, Martha and Mary. And all of them were loved by Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And, and it seems that he was a frequent guest to their house. You know, Luke chapter 10, remember when Martha's you know, cooking the meal and getting everything ready and Mary's sitting there listening to Jesus. And, they, and Jesus would go into Bethany often and, and he would often stay with friends in Bethany. And there's no doubt that he would often stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And sometimes even when he wasn't staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but he was in Bethany at somebody else's house. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus would be there with him at the other house. And so this was a frequent thing that happened between them. I think it was the hospitality of Lazarus that made him a friend of God. And, and what I mean by that is that he simply opened up his home and thereby his heart to Jesus. And where Jesus is welcomed and made to feel at home, there will be friendship. Now, that's a simple statement, but boy, it matters so much. Wherever Jesus is welcomed and made to feel at home, there will be friendship with Jesus. You know, even when sinners opened up their homes to Jesus, he would accept their hospitality and be with them. And he was thus called, and we remember him today as a friend of sinners. Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. Of course, that was a derogatory remark that was made about him, but it was one which Jesus wore gladly. I think you have to include Martha and Mary in with Lazarus in, in this third and final part. 
Because these three siblings show us the way of hospitality and thus friendship with God. And it's rooted in both a desire to be with Jesus and the right way to be with Jesus. Martha shows us the good work of preparation. I, I would, you know, we, we could go into the, the lessons we learn about Martha getting corrected, but we also remember and understand that Martha's hard work was necessary. It's just that her attitude wasn't too good at that point. And we all have problems with that sometimes. Martha was still important, and her hard work was still necessary. So Martha shows us the good work of preparation. And when we're going to welcome Jesus into our heart, we must prepare the chambers of our heart. We must sweep it, clean it, and set it so that it's a welcoming place for Him. Mary shows us the good work of prayer as she sat at Jesus' feet while He was there and listened to what He would say. And certainly within our hearts is where we learn to pray our truest prayers and to listen to the voice of Jesus as He speaks to us and to hear that voice and then, and then let that voice, that word of His, become our life. This is who Mary was and what she shows us. Lazarus was one who shows us the good work of presence. Again, you don't read a lot about what Lazarus did or didn't do. You just know he was there. And i got to tell you, when you've prepared your heart to welcome Jesus in and you have entered into a place of prayer to hear what Jesus is saying, the very best thing you can do is stay and abide in his presence. Just be present to him. Be present to him. You see, this would make a wonderful morning of prayer if we would do those things. That would make a wonderful occasion of prayer in the middle of the day or even in the evening. But this is how we open our heart with hospitality to Jesus and we become a friend of God. They demonstrate these things even when helping, as I said, hosted another friend's house in John chapter 12. But it is, in the end, about a heart of loving Jesus. And, and this is, for Lazarus, the sustainment of resurrection life that he's going to come to know. You know, when, when they come in John chapter 12 and they're gathered, it says, and Lazarus was at the table too. What is that about? Well, John chapter 11 is when Jesus brought him out of the dead, out of the grave. And, and at chapter 12, he's seated at the table. He is sustained in Jesus now. He's living resurrection life. And, and that's the life that we're called to live, to ever abide in Jesus, abide in me, and my words abide in you. That's what we're called to do. All the friends of God have it, this resurrection life that sustains. And all receive the gift of Christ coming to them for fellowship. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If Jesus is ever found to be on the outside, let us open our hearts and let him back in. Amen? That's where he longs to be and ought to be. So no matter what deeds we do, great or small, Jesus comes to be with us and we must simply open the door of a prepared heart by prayer and remain present to Him as long as He will stay. Jean Guyon, Jean Guyon, and I close. She wrote this, The Lord is found only within your spirit, in the recesses of your being, in the holy of holies. I'm, I've got more to read, but I just like to let that soak in. Boy, aren't you glad the Holy of Holies isn't somewhere I've got to travel a long journey to get to. <laughs> I mean, the Holy of Holies. Tonight, tonight, I plan to report to the church. My plan is to report on our trip to Israel. I just got to tell you, I, never been, I, I went to the Holy Land, and I didn't find anything more holy than I've been living in for the last 20-some years of my life because the holiest place in the world is in the heart of the believer where God dwells. But let me get back to the reading. 
So I can be done. The Lord is found only within your spirit in the recesses of your being. In the holy of holies, this is where he dwells. The Lord once promised to come and make his home within you. He promised to there meet those who worship him and who do his will. The Lord will meet you in your spirit. It was St. Augustine who once said that he had lost much time in the beginning of his Christian experience by trying to find the Lord outwardly rather than by turning inwardly. So again, as we come to the close in the time of prayer and response, we've seen that being a friend of God will include a place and a time to meet with God and be saturated in His presence and in His Word. It will include a life lived in obedience to the call of God, separated in faith from the world. And to be a friend of God will include an open heart of hospitality where we are sustained by the indwelling presence of Jesus. This is what it means to be a friend of God. And everybody here who knows Christ can be a true friend of God.